Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So we're in the book of Corinthians today and uh, the, the book that we're looking at is 1 Corinthians 15 and we're from verse 1 to 11. Um, I think this book is so impactful for a number of reasons, but one in particular that really resonates with me is because it was written by Paul. And Paul, as we know, is a great apostle. He was once Saul and he had one of the greatest turnarounds in the history of the Bible. He went from a zealous like persecutor of the, of the church like, and just proudly doing it, you know, arresting Christians, wanting them dead, you know, very knowledgeable man in the, in the uh, Jewish culture and, and studied under some greats to just being so humbled and so weak to then face Christ and see Christ and then turn to the apostles and say, what are you guys doing? Like, let's do this. And I really felt that for not just them, but as for us today, church. I really feel that. So uh, what I didn't know when I said, well, I'll tell you something quickly. Um, I, I watched a video of a, a, a street preacher the other day. It was on TikTok. Some of you don't know what TikTok is. That's okay. You don't need it. Uh, <laughs> oh, what is TikTok? Yeah, anyway. So, and he was preaching on the street and, he, and you know, he's just preaching the word and he had all sorts of enemy coming against him, but he's kept really calm. And I just thought, man, I know I need to be doing something like that. And I said, Lord, it was on Monday, last Monday. I said, Lord, you just got to help me. Like, just use me. However you want to use me, use me. And the next day, within 24 hours, uh, I had five phone calls to preach. Okay. And I was like, I had already a very busy week with the two jobs that I do currently. And I was like, but I felt like Lord said, well, you asked for it. So, Uh, okay. I said, yes. So I got one, two, three, four. And guess who the last one to ring me was? David Shepherd. And he said, oh, do you want to preach at Allgate? I said, yeah, I'd love to. When? He said, this was Tuesday. So Tuesday prior, because this is the second Sunday. He said, oh, Sunday night. I said, which one? He said, this one coming. I was like, oh, okay. Is it on something I've already preached? He said, no, no, 1 Corinthians 15. I said, oh, no worries. You know, he told me like 10 verses, 1 to 11. I said, all right, no worries. Uh, And then I started doing my research and I realized uh, it's considered uh, one of the top 10 verses of the entire Bible. (laughs) So no pressure, Dave. Thanks so much. You see, Dave normally gives me about a month or two months to preach. He's, He's called me up maybe three times. And he's got wind of it that I, that I prepare in the like two weeks prior to the sermon. <laughs> so now he's just testing me. He's like, How, how's five days? So Sunday night was pretty good. I felt good. You know, my wife gave me some feedback. And so hopefully the Lord does more work today and it's better than Sunday night. If not, you can blame my wife. Okay? <laughs> All right. So let's go. I want to let you know that Paul has written 13 of the 27 books in the New Testament. 13. So this man has got a lot to say of what Jesus has done in his life to a lot of people, right? Now, before it happened, it's also agreed in Corinthians. So I'm going to go back to the book of Acts because what is also crazy about Paul is every time I like to um, read the word, I like to picture where I'm at. Like I'm very visual. So I like to actually, and obviously the Arab culture, like, you know, I picture there and I picture the guys and, 
And I picture Paul, he was at the death of the first Christian martyr. And who was that? Stephen. And Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit with the other guys, and he was like, yeah, preaching a word, boom. And he gets, you know, he gets pulled in by the Jewish leaders, and they don't like what he's saying, and he gets pulled out. Now, who is there? Saul. And it says in Acts, well, let's read Acts, Acts 7:54. We'll go straight in. It says, when the council members had heard Stephen's speech, they were angry and furious. But Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. He looked toward the heaven where he saw our glorious God and Jesus standing at his right side. Then Stephen said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right side of God. Now I picture that. I'm like, wow, he's about to, he knows he's about to die. There's no fear here. There is no fear here. The council members shouted and covered their ears and they all attacked Stephen and dragged him out of the city. They started throwing stones at him. The men who had brought charges against him put their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Stephen was being stoned to death. He called out, Lord Jesus, please welcome me. He knelt down and shouted, Lord, don't blame them for what they have done. Now, where have you seen that before? So now we see the first martyr emulating his Lord and Saviour. Powerful. Now what I understood from this is Saul is standing there watching this. Now I don't care if you're the hardest man on the planet. Something has to have pierced your heart in that moment. To watch a man getting stoned. And not only is he not crying out, stop, or ah, uh, ah. Uh, he's basically going... Hey, Jesus, I love you. Welcome me and please forgive them. I'm getting goosebumps telling you that. So I know that that soul's heart has been pierced here. Like something is there. Even though he's not thinking about it, it's here. Would you agree? So now you see this journey and you realise because um, the Lord just has this way of working this amazing tapestry in stories from the beginning to the end, the Alpha and Omega. I don't know if you know a guy called Jordan Peterson. Some of you may know him, right? He's a psychiatrist, uh, world-renowned. He speaks all over the place. He is pushing God and Christianity more than most people I see. And he's not a Christian yet. God's working on him. He's almost there. But he has this graphic that he loves. And it's, I don't know if you've seen it. It's basically the whole Bible along the bottom. And then it has all the intersection of where the word meets the word meets the word. And it's this beautiful rainbow. Have you ever seen it? I, sh I should have got the image and put it up. But right? You've got to go and see it. And that is what God is going to do in here and every word that I read. He always brings it back somehow. And even in your lives, you will see how he brings it back. That was what the beginning was. And that blew my mind to know that this picture affected Paul. Because what we're going to see now is he is telling us and the church of Corinth or Corinthians that the glory of the Christian faith, faith is it never views life as ending with death. But it always looks beyond the sun setting towards the sun rising. And so I love one-liners. And my first one-liner for you today, church, is the title of this. For the note-takers, I called this one, The Sun Sets and Rises Again. Oh, yeah, you like that? <laughs> yeah, that's right, church. Come on, Dave told me you are going to be a bit quiet, so I came prepared. <laughs> Don't you worry. All right. So 
I, I'm still caught up on that one lineup, right? I love it. God, God always gives me one-liners, but as I was praying and reading and, and looking at people and, and putting my, um, my uh, sermon together, it's almost like sometimes you, you want those one-liners and God said, look, look, I'll give you one. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's good enough for me, Lord, so thank you so much. So that's the only one-liner today, okay? All right, so for those who don't know me, six years ago, I was um, a no-pork Muslim. Yeah, you like that one, Sally? So, <laughs> basically, uh, I got raised uh, with a Christian mother and a Muslim father, but we didn't have faith. So we got uh, Ramadan and we got Chris uh, Christmas and Easter. So we, we were the envy of all of our other family, right? We were envy of the Muslim family because we got Easter and Christmas, and we were envy of, of the Christian family because we got the Ramadan holidays and the gifts and the stuff too. But as we started you know, getting older, we, we want to belong. So we started to become Muslim. And then in our late teens to early 20s and through, we started partying. So, you know, drugs, alcohol, you know, you name it. But we would not eat pork. <laughs> oh, no, no. That was a sin, my friends. <laughs> Now, as a Muslim, we love Jesus. We just didn't believe he was, we thought he was the greatest prophet. We didn't believe he was the son of God, definitely not God incarnate, okay? But we loved him. We actually believed he was taken off the, where's the cross? He was taken off the cross, replaced. But Paul's gonna show us, and this is the beauty of this, that that is not the case. Because if it wasn't for that, then why are we even living? That is the importance. Uh, I used to drink alcohol long periods of time. The only time I could break it was the maximum about six months in my own strength. Now, I had a missus who was a Christian. She was a Christian her whole life. Uh, had a, a, not a nice divorce, her parents, and she was living with friends when I met her. And she would be hanging around about 20 Muzo Arab men young men, you know, partying and that, and she would, we would always give her grief about, you know, why Christianity was wrong, and she would stand firm in her faith. And just like Paul seeing Stephen, I, that affected me too. So I'm going to tell you, there's so many similarities between me and Paul, it's crazy. <laughs> so into having children, we're 14 years together, and then seven years into having children, so my children were, I had three, I was still using, but I was very functional. Very functional, you wouldn't be able to tell. And then one day she brought to Jesus what we had only been bringing to man. So we'd gone to psychologists, drug rehabs, which is why I felt so much, um, where's Ben, when he talked about the story of AA. I was at NA, Narcotics Anonymous, so very similar. But the only difference is I don't like to stay there because there's sort of a shackle that's left there where Jesus says, I break the shackles, be free. So the only thing with those programs that I don't love is they keep saying, my name is John, I am an alcoholic and I've been clean for 15 years. John, you're clean, brother, be free. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I didn't stay there. But it was a great stepping stone to the Lord. Now she took it to the Lord and the Lord gave her a, a like prayer, you know, like Claire was saying, prayer is key, mate. This is not a go-to sometimes, this is a every day all the time. If Muslims pray five times a day, you should be praying 10 times a day. Why are you laughing? That <laughs> <laughs> wasn't a joke. <laughs> okay. Right? Because that's what, how do we seek relationship? How do we seek him? Lord, where are you? Where are you? He's saying, where are you? I'm here. Where are you? Okay. So she brought it to God and Jesus 
told her, Sam needs an ex-gangster turned Christian. And boom, there she found him. Now, I'm going to tell you a bit about that. Now, the similarities between me and Paul is Paul once was Saul. He uh, had a crazy event in his life where he was traveling to Damascus and Jesus appeared to him and blinded him, right? I found myself on the road to Sydney when Jesus appeared to me. Didn't blind me, but he appeared to me. Saul was in a chariot with his companions. I was in a Toyota MR2 with a pastor. So ex-gangster turned pastor, right? Saul was blinded when Jesus appeared. I was praying because the pastor was talking about why Islam had it wrong. And I, I prayed and I opened my eyes and in the distance there was three buildings, two on the left, one on the right, and in big white writing it said, Jesus. And I said, that doesn't count. <laughs> so these signs kept coming to me. Then he gave me a book. And the book appeared at the Kurong bookshop where my kids had been going to a Christian school, by the way, because I wanted them to have good values and morals, right? And I went to the Kurong bookshop to get my daughter a book and there was a book there and it was called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. I said, okay, God, you've got my attention now. And I read this book and this book was about a Muslim that was way more Muslim than me, trying to disprove Christianity but in the, in the steps or the process of doing that, he ends up finding, oh, the crucifixion was real. Not just biblically, people, historically. There's Roman history that will show you that. You know, people outside of Christianity that have recorded that, right? Number two, he rose again, which we're going to show you. And he was, he was seen, witnessed by not just believers, but non-believers, 500 actually, who a lot of them end up where we're going to be talking about in Corinth. And number three, the Trinity. And so he couldn't disprove any, so he ends up becoming a Christian. And because he became a Christian and he knows the truth, he feels like, guess what, it's my duty now to tell the truth. So then he starts debating all across the world with Muslim scholars about Jesus, about the truth. And so it just pierces my heart as it should yours. Now, you may not all have a crazy testimony, but I can guarantee you right now, with Jesus, your life could not be the same. Is your life the same now as it was before Jesus? I see a lot of head shaking, exactly. So how many people are you telling? It doesn't have to be up here. That's what God has put in my heart today. Once you've been on a journey like this, it is just what you have to do. You just sit in his truth and you feel called to tell others uh, the goodness of God. Like those songs were just right on point, by the way. We didn't even set that up. Um, but he calls us all to tell others about him, not just if we had a crazy testimony, but because we have new life in him. So let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. I love that old gate gets it up there. It's so good. It's right up there. All right, so it says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. He says, by this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in, you see? Otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. 
What have you received and who have you passed it on to? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Interesting point. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas, which is Peter. I didn't know that. I was like, who's this Cephas guy? Peter. And then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Church, I came to Christianity six years ago, and one of the first things I noticed was that y'all have fallen asleep. I know you're not happy with me, but that's fine. I'm not here to be loved because he loves me anyway, right? You all have fallen asleep. That's why the left is so loud. That's why now we're trying to discern like what is truth because the world has mucked it up. And I can't even believe some of the arguments that are out there trying and from intelligent people. I don't need to drop them in this sermon, but it's craziness because we have been so quiet, so silent. That's why I feel Jesus brought an Arab to the hills for you. Okay, that's what it is. I know some of you, you're comfortable in the hills. I get it. But that's not what God calls us for. He doesn't call us for comfort. It's not for you that you are saved. It's so you can tell others. Otherwise, you're going to be there by yourself. Like, where is everyone? Well, who did you tell? Ah, uh, yeah, I forgot, right? After that, uh, then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Remember that, abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. So much in there. You know, it's crazy. Shep told me when I did my first sermon, he said, Sam, because I had written like 14 pages for my first sermon. (laughs) He goes, we have to bring that back because every thousand words is like 10 minutes. And I know Olga's pretty tight. I see Mark over there looking at me like, Sam, remember the 30 minutes, right? Now, now, I am going to put a timer on for you, church, okay? But I'm going to tell you a little story that I found the other day. And it was, about a, it was about a pastor from America that went into China. And they set up like a little workshop. And obviously it was underground. It was up in the forest somewhere. So, you know, people didn't see. And some of these people, and there was like 30 or 40 people that had come from everywhere, like church leaders from around the underground church. By the way, if you didn't know, there's like, uh, you know, 10 million strong in China. Okay? Right? Y'all don't even know. Okay? And they came up to this place and they sat with him. And the things that really resonated with me, number one, it was firstly they have to travel 13 to 15 hours, not in a nice... Qantas airplane either, that most of you can play. Oh, I flew 15 hours. Really? They walked, they trekked, you know, 
They had court rides. They like a lot of trekking, 15 hours to sit with this pastor for three days in a cold room with a hard concrete floor. And for three days they heard the word and they boom, boom, they're trying to, because they're trying to equip their people, right? And uh, they, they pulled out the Bible, so they smuggled some Bibles in and there was 15 copies, but there was like 30 people. So here, share a Bible. And a few of them, the pastor saw, passed on when he said, oh, we're reading the book of Peter. And they, oh, no worries. So they passed on their Bible. He noticed it and there was like four or five of them. And he said, oh, I noticed that you passed your Bibles on. What? He said, yeah, yeah, we're in the book of Peter, right? They said, he said, yeah. He said, yeah, yeah, we've memorised the book of Peter. He said, what? He said, yeah, when we got in, locked up in prison, we couldn't take a Bible, we smuggled papers, so we only took one book and it was Peter. Now, I'm not telling you from a religious sort of way, like a pharisaical way, but we know songs off by heart and some of them we don't even like. <laughs> Some of them are in your head right now. Damn it. You're like, damn it, Sam. Okay? Isn't that true? Yeah, here is the word, the truth that God has given us and how many of us know it. At the end of the three days, they prayed and said, what can I pray for you? And they said, look, we want you to pray that we could be more like your church. And he said, I don't think so. He said, I'm not going to pray that prayer. They said, why not? He said, because my church, people come for 40 minutes and then they leave. And if it's over 40 minutes, they get upset. And if it's not in a comfortable room with comfortable chairs and a beautiful band, they probably won't come. And if they got sport on the same day, they won't make it. Because you're, we want to pray like we can be more like your church. And I just felt like I needed to tell you that today. So in Romans, Paul is writing to a church which he did not establish. And Romans is my favourite book. And once I started studying Corinth or the book of Corinthians, I was like, wow, I like to do a bit of research, right? They always say like, whatever's in the word, you know, you do some research and then there's the power because you understand the context. And what Paul is saying here is this is the closest thing he's ever written to the summary of the entire Christian doctrine. That's 10 push-ups, you know that, right? <laughs> of course it was one of Judy's friends, wasn't it, Hey. Yeah, yeah. All right, trouble out here. Heckler, I'll tell you what. Paul was intimately involved with the church. <laughs> you need some water? Okay, you're good, Zai. You're good. All right. Paul was intimately involved in the church of Corinth. He planted it. He had skin in the game, so to speak, right? He needed it. He was like, what do you mean the church of Corinth has got wind that they're doing this and they're doing that? And I don't know if you know a bit about it, but the church will always reflect to some extent the society it is in. Now, for the church of Corinth, I don't know if you know this, um, but they were in a place, the city of Corinth was a very busy place. And in 500 BC, there was something built on top of the city of Corinth that had a massive impact on that. And it was the temple of Aphrodite. Aphrodite is the god, goddess of pleasure and lust. So it's not a coincidence that this is what's happening in the city of Corinth because it has been there. This is a spiritual thing. You remember, this is not against flesh. It's against the spiritual principalities. And this is what we're seeing in here. Um, we always say that you're going to be a product of the five people you hang around the most. And so if there's one church in the city of Corinth, 
Who are they hanging around with? So we need to make sure that Jesus is the number one of our five so we can be more like him. And that's what, trying, that's what he's trying to tell them today. As the redemptive fellowship we find in the New Testament church possesses a dimension unknown to the world. And therefore, the church must not be conformed to its environment. My favourite verse in the Bible is Romans 12.2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you can test God's good will, His perfect and pleasing will. The problem is we are in the world, but we're called to not be of the world. And this is what Paul is telling them. Um, when I came to the Lord, I avoided certain places. I didn't go to mates' birthdays. I didn't go to friends' engagements. I didn't go to the club because I knew the temptation that was going to be there. So I avoided them until I was in a walk with Jesus that was strong enough to go back there and preach to them. And not by like, you shouldn't be drinking, but by like, we go to the bar and they go, what are you drinking, bro? And I said, no, I don't drink, bro. And they go, what do you mean? I said, yeah, no, I don't drink. And they would laugh because that was not who I was. I was the biggest party animal there was. Right? And so that showed them what? And just like Paul's heart was pierced when Stephen, just like my heart was pierced when I saw my wife, these people's hearts pierced through our actions. More so than our words. Because everybody can say something. Only few of us do it. And that is what we're going to see. Um, Paul had been ridiculed because of his preaching of the resurrection in Acts, Acts 17.32. In Athens, the Greeks were considered the uh, matter evil and, and spirit good. So to them, the idea of a resurrection was disgusting. Repugnant, some theologists say, repugnant. These intelligence men, oh, that's disgusting. So to them, they didn't quite get it because the knowledge was here and not here. Paul is preaching to them. So he's already been ridiculed and he's still going. The one great doctrinal passage in 1 Corinthians is chapter 15 because it just showed the difficulty that Corinthians were trying to understand of, re of the resurrection of Jesus. Even though Paul was saying to them, those of you who saw him are still alive today. So Paul to us is like, a perfect, uh, he's like the past uh, prototype for the believers today because we didn't actually see him in the flesh. Right? Paul saw him in the spirit, but the other believers saw him in the flesh. And yet he's the one working harder than the rest. It's crazy. Uh, I just want to point out, he says, well, first he says, I just want to point out Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now, if we look all throughout the Old Testament, it consistently points to Jesus. It points to God sending his Son to take the sins of the world. So I picked out just a couple here uh, because there was many. I, I like... Uh, first of all, I'll go back to 1 Corinthians 5, 7, where Paul alludes to the Old Testament. He says, for Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed. He's basically telling us the death of Christ was our Passover lamb. The concept of a Passover lamb goes back all the way to Exodus. And 
when in Egypt, he said, um, the sons of the, fir- or the firstborn sons are going to die through this town, right? So I want you to put the blood of the lamb or the goat on the post of your door. What I started finding out was it didn't mean if you were a Jew, you were saved. You see, you could have had Egyptian friends and you could have told them, hey, listen, God is coming through tonight and you better put the blood on the post of your door. And some of those Egyptians could have listened and they would have been saved. And some of those Jews may not have listened and they would not have been. I mean, this is a great picture for us. This is about stepping out in faith and abiding in God and listening Stepping out and saying, yes, okay, boom, and I'll do that. This event foreshadowed the time when God would provide his son as our Passover lamb. When John the Baptist introduced Jesus to the nation of Israel, he said, what? Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His announcement declared that Jesus is the ultimate sacrificial lamb. One who can pay the penalty for sin. Therefore, all the sacrifices of the Old Testament look forward to the coming of Christ. Blows my mind. If we keep going down, we go to Hebrews. He says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. For the problem with the sacrifice of animals was that it couldn't take away sin. Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. The writer is explaining that Jesus was born into the human race so he could bear the sins that animals could not because he is our Passover lamb. That is all we need. That is all we need. That's it. You know, Dave always talks about closed hand truth. There it is. So operate from that. If you can't look into your life and go, oh, this is what Jesus has done for me, then go back there because it's already there. In Isaiah 53 verse 11, the prophet wrote, By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. This is God speaking to him. He poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet him himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Who is Isaiah talking about? Jesus. You know, it's so funny, like in the Muslim argument, they try to say, where, where does it point to Jesus? Where does Jesus say he's God? Where does Jesus say he's the son of God? Mate, it's all through it. Hate to break it to you. Actually, no, I don't hate to break it to you. I love to break it to you. I love you, my Muslim brothers and sisters. Right? You just got a little bit wrong. It is all through it. The purpose of Jesus' death could not be any clearer. And this is what Paul was saying to the church at Corinth. Paul possessed such perfect qualifications to be an evangelist. He was well-versed in the Jewish culture and the language. His upbringing in Tarsus made him familiar with the Greek and the culture. And his training in Jewish theology helped him to connect the Old Testament to the New. you got to understand, these guys back then, like there are some Muslims today that know the entire Quran off by heart. Right? But it's a real works thing. Same as you see back in the Jewish culture. Christianity is the only one that breaks it. It's the one that's in the middle. It's so crazy. So Paul would have known the entire Old Testament. And now he has these, this lens of Christ. And now he starts to see, oh my gosh, it's pointing to him. It's pointing. And that's why his passion was so like, guys, no, no, no. You don't understand. You know who I am. 
I am Saul of Tarsus. And they go, oh, yeah. And I'm telling you, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the lamb that the Old Testament God has been talking about. And what are you doing with it? When God brings a person to faith in Jesus, he already knows how he wants to use him or her in service to the kingdom. So all we need to do is receive. Sometimes we're slow to understand God's plan or even want to do it, but we always want the outcome. We just don't always want the way that he's showing us to it. I'm sure Stephen wouldn't have chosen that way, like really. Okay, yep, I'm happy to be the first one, mate. Stone me, God, no worries. No. I mean, even Jesus had doubts of that, right? Maybe take the cup. Ah, okay, if it's your will. Like, right? And we do that and we go, oh, no. Take all of me, God, except that. (laughs) That's what we do. And I'm saying me. No, I'm not just saying you, church. Me as well. Okay, so yeah, he just gives us these examples. Um, I rejected God three times before accepting him into my life. In the, in the church where I went and he was praying for me, I cried uncontrollably. He said, Jesus forgives you. I was like, oh, in front of this whole church. I didn't know why. Then the Jesus on the building. Then I was in a school because I speak in schools. And I was in a school speaking with lots of English secondary language students, so lots of Muslims. And there was a big room like this. And something drew me to the corner of the room. I didn't know what it was and I just walked towards it. I don't know why, but it was a tiny little card. And guess who was on it? Jesus. I was like, what the heck? Put it in my pocket and continued on. And then he slapped me with the book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And then I accepted into my life. And when I did, he took it all from me. All, don't smoke, don't drink, don't do drugs, don't gamble, gone. And not in my strength. People used to come up to me and go, Sam, how'd you do it? I said, bro, it wasn't me. I wish I could tell you it was me. They go, yeah, yeah, I know, like, yeah, God, God, but like, how did you do it? You see, they can't fathom it. It's not me. Paul is saying, it's not me. I've worked hard, but it's not me. It is him in me. And that's what I'm here to confess and profess to you. His hand has been on it since the beginning and no matter what anyone can say, I never would have thought I'd be worthy to speak at a church. I was already speaking in schools and I was like, yeah, I'm never going to speak in church. I'm going to speak on the streets, right? But then I realised God is saying to me, hang on, I've already got believers here. They just need to be equipped to go and do your work. Yeah, you can speak. There's one of you. I've got thousands in my church. And maybe they just need an Arab to kick them in the backside. (laughs) Right? We are at the top here and I just see this picture of God's word flowing down to cover the entire of Adelaide. It starts up here. Why do you think Jesus always used to go to the top of the mountain to pray? Well, look, I know Mount Lofty is not really a mountain. It's more like a big hill. That's the best we got, people. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Paul goes on to say that he was abnormally born. What does that mean? You know what that means? He was born again. He He was born again. 
Jesus has talked all about it throughout his walking with the apostles. You have to be born again. And they'll be like, what are you talking about? And now Paul understands. He doesn't deserve this because he's never good enough. But the one who is in him and with him is. All these others had come to Jesus, know Jesus during his time on earth. Paul only came to faith after Jesus had already ascended. Paul was on the way to Damascus when the Lord appeared. So Paul is the modern prototype for the modern believer. Paul includes himself amongst the eyewitnesses to Jesus' post-death life, meaning that it was really the Lord in the flesh who confronted Paul's unbelief in Christ's deity and resurrection. You see, the man with experience about God need not worry about the man with argument about God because he has the experience. When people want to argue with me, I say, man, an angel could, I kid you not, an angel could come down and tell me that it wasn't real and I'd say, sure, buddy. That's the experience. That's how well I truthfully I know Jesus and what he's done for me. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. And see, we go, oh, take it easy, Paul. But then he goes, but not I. So he's saying, you've still got to work. Jesus say, okay, there you go. And you just go, thanks, Lord. And you sit at home. You've still got to work, but it's with faith and through faith that we work. The farmer still has to sow the seeds. Oh, Lord, where was my crop today? Ah, far out. This year was terrible. You didn't plant any seeds. Oh, that's what I meant to do. Some people expect to plant apple seeds and get oranges. Where the heck's my oranges? You planted apple seeds, champ. So Paul is telling us this. He's saying, not, by, not I, but by the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. He's telling them, hey guys, what are you doing? There are some of you who are still alive that saw Jesus after he died. And yet you're falling back. You're, you're, you're uh, uh, what do you call it? You're, you're getting consumed by the environment around you. The filth, the sin, the lust, the pleasure. Yet you know the true God that raised his son. How much more do we need Jesus to be in our lives to keep living for him and avoiding the world? If that's what they saw and that's what they're doing. I love how he uses the term fallen asleep. We see it so much now in the modern day church. And as I was saying to you before, as a new Christian, I see the left being so loud because I've seen the church being so quiet. This is a word for us today as much as it was for the Corinthians, except it's 2,000 years later and we have social media. So their voice is even louder and affects even more. But I see some Christian pastors and um, evangelists using the platforms See, they're in the world, but they're not of it. So they use it to be able to reach because that's where the world is. You know, oh, I'm not going, I was one of them, I'm not going on TikTok, I'm not going on Snapchat. But that's where the world is. So how do I expect to reach the world if I'm not on it? Now I can be in it, but I'm not of it. And if I'm starting to realise, if I'm always in word and abiding in God, then I go, the Holy Spirit will go, ah, you're spending too much time there. Yep, you're right, I'll put a timer on it because it does catch you, I'm telling you. And all of a sudden you're scrolling, it's been two hours, you've done no work. 
It's not me. This was a story I heard. But uh, <laughs> these problems were for the Christian converts in Corinthian, and Paul's answers continue to be helpful for us today. What are we doing? Are we living in a way that is calling others to seek the joy that we have? The peace that's meant to surpass all understanding. I've had some news this week and the first day I was really, was caught up. I was like, I can't believe this happening. What am I doing? God, are you serious? I thought you put me. And then he fell, hang on, hang on, hang on. Didn't I sort you out last time? Yeah, because so why am I not going to sort it out this time? Okay. And people outside are looking like, aren't you stressing? And I'm like, no, no, God's got it. And when we say that sometimes, do we really mean it? God's got it. Just try it, right? God's got it. Oh, that's what we're doing. Yeah, Paul is not doing that. He's saying we have to bring the peace and love to others. Are we truly walking with God if we're not? And if we truly believe he died for us and that eternity awaits the people, is that what we're spreading? If eternity awaits the people, uh, sorry, if eternity awaits, people with the absence of God will go to hell. If eternity awaits, then people with the presence of God will go to heaven. So that means it is our duty, obligation to bring the presence of God to as many people as we can. Would you agree? So the absence of God is hell. And even for your enemies, you wouldn't want that. It's a long time, man. Are we becoming like the culture or becoming more like Christ? Eagles fly west in the winter. That's code for band may come up. (laughs) Will Christians really be raised from the dead as Christ was after the crucifixion? Yes. Yes? One of you believes that. Fantastic. (laughs) Some of the Corinthians didn't think so. A group of them either believed false teaching or a blended of Christian ideas with the Greco-Roman ideas. You see, that that statue of Aphrodite, that temple, had a thousand priestesses, self-professed priestesses. They were prostitutes. So their God was what? Okay. And so that's intertwining with their belief. And this is like 30 years, maybe 20 years of him planning the church and then coming back and writing this. Maybe, maybe 20 years. Paul writes this chapter to correct their thinking, teaching about what resurrection from the dead means for the born again believer. He said, you guys saw it. Now you're doing this. This is wrong. You guys are eating the meat that they're sacrificing to the idols. You can't do that. Even going there and what he is doing. That is not because they look and they go, ah, oh, see, that's, that's your God. 
He's reminding them of what they believed when he taught them the gospel of Jesus. They believed in both the death of Christ for their sins and the physical resurrection of Christ from the dead on the third day. They believed the gospel. And so many eyewitnesses to Christ's resurrection were still living. So he's just going, guys, this is a reminder. The Corinthians need to choose to remain confident that Christ did indeed walk alive out of his tomb. Having established the Corinthians do believe in the physical resurrection of Jesus, Paul challenges their unbelief and ours in the coming resurrection of all who are in trusting in Christ. He shows why this is so significant by working out the implications of believing there is no resurrection from the dead. And then the next few verses, he's got these beautiful like ifs. If Christ didn't rise, then what does that mean for us? If, and read it, I was gonna, but I said, no, I'll leave it for uh, Nick. I don't want to ruin his next sermon. There's so much in it, right? Just as death came to all people through one man, Adam, resurrection will come to all people through one man, Christ. Christ will defeat every power on earth and the Father will cause everything to be under his authority. Paul is saying Corinthians, Hills Baptists, Millennialans, Jesenians, whatever you Arians, what are you believing and how are you walking in the world? He's saying if you get the proper perspective of the resurrection reality in Christ, then all the issues I have discussed over the past 14 chapters will make sense. He's saying the solution to their problems and our problems is the right revelation of the resurrection reality in the risen Christ. The right revelation of the resurrection reality in the risen Christ. Let's pray. Father God, you are good. You sent your son to die for us at the cross and he rose again three days later. He is the Passover lamb that you have written from the, the day time began. Lord, he has died for every single one of us. May today's message be a reminder of that, that no matter where we are, we know whose we are. And when we know whose we are, Lord, we know who we are. And when we know who we are, we know what we are called to do. We are called to bring your word to the world. We are called to spread your love, your peace, your truth. And I know the truth hurts, but we have the truth. So the truth should hurt even more. You say iron sharpens iron. That can't feel good, but it's always great outcome. Discipline never feels good, Lord, in the moment, but the outcome is always great. And I, I just pray that we walk with a disciplined love, speaking a disciplined truth in a world that is just so undisciplined, in a world that is just everywhere, like the Corinthians, they're just being, yeah, following their feelings and their lust and their pleasure and their desire, and it's all about me. But this is all about you. And may we be that example to those around us, Lord. May they see the fruit 
from how we walk, not just how we talk. Every day in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.